Hello, this is Mona Tonchev, past president of NCSM, and welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders, the Reset, Renew, Restore series. Join me and my co-host, John Sangiovanni, as we sit down and have conversations with emerging and established leaders about how we can reset for the upcoming school year. Listen as we talk to mathematics leaders who can help us think about resetting what has become status quo these past few years. We will learn about their inspiration, perceptions, insights, and perspective. Listeners, fellow mathematics leaders, if you feel like current math instructional practices or student learning seems stuck or stalled, it's time to hit reset. So hello, listeners. I am Mona Tonchev, and welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders. For the first time in our podcast history, we are recording this session live from the 54th Annual Conference in Anaheim, California. For the next few months, our podcast is highlighting some of the speaker sessions that will help us on our journey to reset, renew, and restore this school year. Yeah, that's right, Mona. We are live, which means you might hear a cough in the background, shouting in the halls, a door slamming, the ice cubes, and Mona's beverage. Yeah, it's just water today, guys. I'm sure it's, it's just, just water. water. I'm just I saying. Promise. I don't know what you thought it might have been. <laughs> Remember, this series is a chance to think about a brighter future. Um, you know, it's a chance to think about what has worked and what hasn't, to think about the pressure to catch up without taking shortcuts. And so I would like to welcome Brea Ratliff our guest today. It's great to have you. And first, we'd like you to tell us a little bit about you and your math journey. All right. Well, thank you. It's really great to be here. So I have been in mathematics education now for a little over 20 years. Um, I started out in um, elementary and middle school math ed. I was trained as a teacher at Baylor University. But what was interesting was that was never my intention. Um, I happened to get into a mathematics methods class, and that was the first time that I learned about how mathematics really is supposed to be taught and the conceptual understanding that takes place. But it wasn't just what we did. My professor, um, Dr. Tommy Bryan, was the very first person who talked to me about representation. And so as we are going throughout the semester, he just had a conversation with me and said there are not many blacks, there are not many women in mathematics and education. Mm -hmm. I think you're really good at this. And I think you should consider changing your major. So that was huge because conversations about representation happened within my home, within my familial community. Um, and I knew that I was, we'll say, I had an affinity for math and science, but to teach math and science was never on my radar. I actually planned to go into medicine um, and so just making that leap into math ed was, was, was definitely um, first a faith walk and, and so rewarding. And so that has, those experiences really kind of colored all the things that I've done since. Um, the leadership positions that I took on, the types of school settings that I've worked in and how I collaborate with people is really based on how I was trained and the conversations I had early on, really formatively. Um, so I went into teaching in the Dallas area, which is, mm -hmm. um, and I did that for, gosh, I guess about seven to nine years and taught elementary and then middle and high school mathematics. Um, and I moved into coaching all in Dallas and then into becoming a district leader, so a K-12 math supervisor. Um, and so from there, 
I started to meet people in um, NCTM that are connected and NCSM who were like, you know, you should really learn more about what's happening on the national level um, and be able to contribute to that and, and just um, have your voice heard. So Beatrice Morlution um, and Jenny Bennett and Lois Mosley and others became good mentors mm -hmm. to me and just kind of just kept pushing me. And so eventually that's, I started becoming involved with groups like the Benjamin Banneker Association, for which I later became president of. <laughs> and so um, it's just been a, a very rewarding journey, again, with nothing that I anticipated. I never, I, I never expected to really, again, be in math ed at all, let alone teach middle and high school. Mm -hmm. I said I wanted to teach algebra, because of the experiences I had and in undergrad and, and again learning specifically how algebra should be taught. But the, the challenges from people in my community and saying, hey, you should consider this, you should do that, that's what really just propelled me forward. That's a, that's a fantastic story. I love that's that. That's a great story. Yeah, you can't hear that in a bio. No. <laughs> exactly. I, I love it. No, that is a, that is. So I did see you are also pursuing your your doctorate. I am secondary math education at Auburn. I am very yeah, exciting. Yeah. How close? How close are you? I'm in my fourth year. Wow! Um, and if my advisor is listening to this, uh, Maryland Instructions is my advisor. Again, yes, that's why I'm <laughs> I'm excited all the time um, about working with Dr. Instructions. So I say I'm close to being finished. <laughs> But hopefully, honestly, within the next year or so. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So today we want to talk a little bit about the conversations you had in your session. Mm -hmm. um, so the first question we have for you is when we think about a school community, we typically think about students, teachers, and administrators. So in terms of your math journey, tell us more about how you expand collaboration and engagement beyond the typical con construct. Sure. So again, I think starting as an elementary teacher, and I was self-contained, so you already have this sense of what it really means to work with other people beyond your discipline. Right? Mm -hmm. So planning with first the reading, science, social studies teachers, and the other teachers on campus starts to kind of broaden your thinking about how do I work with people outside of just the math ed community. But um, another interesting piece of my journey that was that after my first year, I was so disillusioned by the realities of teaching that I quit. Mm. Hadn't planned to come back. I quit and went to work in the city of Dallas for the Metro Dallas Homeless Alliance. And I actually ended up teaching within <laughs> a program there. It's in your blood. <laughs> it was. And, and some of the leaders there said at the end of the year, you know, I think you should really consider going back because it is. It is in your blood. So I did. I, I had a great um, mentor who was my principal at the time who had moved to another campus and was like, hey, I think you might be a, find a better fit here. So what ended up happening, though, was the experiences I had working with the Homeless Alliance and other community groups in Dallas just, again, broadened my perspective of community. So I started bringing that into my classroom and our school. And so we started doing projects around things like um, how do we provide resources or how are how can we partner with organizations to provide resources and then how is mathematics a part of that learning about how and i taught my seventh graders 
Like, what does it mean to write a grant? And then what are all of the mathematics behind that? And specifically, we know, and it was real world, because I knew that there were organizations in Dallas that did need donations, that needed people to think about these things. And so my students were collecting donations and socks and toiletries for the homeless population in Dallas. And, and also talking about integers and <laughs> yep. expressions and equations. And again, all the mathematics that comes behind that. So all of those people became a part of our community. Um, I also had the opportunity from that, I, from again, connecting with the Homeless Alliance, I learned that in my district, because homelessness was such a major issue, there was a whole department dedicated towards making sure that homeless students and families had resources um, so that they could access um, academically or the instruction, you know, to keep the students on, you know, on track. So we provided, um, we provided different kind of camps in the summer. Some of us as teachers were asked to go to homeless shelters and work with parents and students. And so I did a lot of that for several years also. And what that taught me was more about privilege than I had ever really considered. And my privilege as a mathematics educator, right? I, I knew, and it also taught me that regardless of the context and the situation that people were living in, they all wanted their, their children to do well. Mm -hmm. The children wanted to do well. Mm -hmm. And so it just really, again, makes you think about collaboration from the perspective of really understanding people's experiences and not just more or less forcing like my thoughts or my expectations on them, but learning from them. What do they know about, in particular, mathematics? And what is their background knowledge in it? And why, even when in, in the, the darkness of a homeless shelter, why would they come to a mathematics workshop? Because they were coming to that, right? Um, and that was important to them. So how do I honor that? Right? How do I not just say that these are the things that we're doing, but make this kind of like a, a reciprocal relationship with people? So again, all of those things just continue to guide what I did in, class, in my classroom, what I did as a campus leader, and then as a district leader, and so on, is thinking about who, who, is, who wants to interact with us, right? And who is willing you know, and am I willing to change my perspectives and adapt and learn more about people so that this can be like a, a real community of practice as opposed to my just being this lone facilitator of knowledge. So. Mm -hmm. Well, as you know, you're talking, you're making me think about collaboration and, and reimagining it. So one of the questions that, that I have for you is, you know, as you've worked on reconsidering or reimagining the school community, mm -hmm. um, what do you think is misunderstood sometimes about collaborating or collaboration? Um, I think the first thing is that collaboration, sometimes people think that collaboration means that everyone has to be in agreement about um, everything, right? I know that you want to reach consensus in order to move things forward, but sharing the, the same goal doesn't mean that we all have the same beliefs, that we have the same values or the same perspectives. And I think it's important to honor that and communicate, um, communicate that, you know, mm -hmm. instead of just um, holding back. And then as a leader, I think rethinking the role of mathematics leadership is about like, fostering true collaboration um, through like centering other people. 
And I've always been a proponent of student-centered instruction and just centering students in everything that we do. Um, but even that has transformed for me throughout mm -hmm. the years. Because many times, I, I initially started out creating opportunities and then trying to center them. But now I'm starting to think more about how can I allow them to be more active in, in having mathematical authority and having agency to actually create and bring others into you know, what they're thinking and what they're doing and what does that look like. Um, so, and I know that as a leader that means relinquishing a, a bit more of what we might say is our quote unquote power to do that. But we're talking about like, you know, being transformative and collaborating. So how do we bring that out? How do we bring out other people's uh, contributions a little bit more, I think, than we have? Now that was a great summation of that. Um, one of the things that we learned, so we have a new book that came out from NCSM, The Culturally Relevant Leadership in Mathematics Education. Mm -hmm. And a big element of all of the four guiding principles is a sense of empowering right. and not just the students. Because what, what I heard, you know, as, a, as, a, as a, what I was hearing as you were speaking was this idea of, you know, students come to school, someone brings them there. Mm -hmm. Someone values that they're there. And it is our job as leaders to ensure that those, the voices of the community members are part of that process. And I, it's definitely a missed opportunity right. in some systems. Right. So I just really appreciate what you said about that. Because if students are at the center, it's not just teachers, adults, and leaders, teachers, leaders, and the school around that student. You have the entire community behind that student. Like as a parent, you know, I worked full time once my son was in third grade, or when we turned three. Like I had friends that did morning breakfast duty as I, if I had an early morning meeting and yeah. I had family members that picked them up after school to drive them home. Like there was like, it took a community mm -hmm. to really do that. And we need to make sure we honor the voices of those community members yeah. as part of that. So in your session, you also talked about this toolkit for collaboration mm -hmm. with other stakeholders. So what tools and or resources have you experienced or developed that really grow that level of collaboration? Sure. So one of the resources that I mentioned in the toolkit was about um, growing mathematics teachers and looking at mathematics teaching and learning, again, from the community of practice perspective. So I asked in the session, what is it that mathematics leaders you believe makes teachers effective? And so there were a really great range of responses. And a lot of it came back to relationships, um, making sure that teachers understand the content, making sure that they understand their students. And so a resource I shared was related to first, I said, well, let's look at content and pedagogical knowledge. And while I was in the K-12 spaces, those were primarily the two um, words and terms that I heard most often. But being in more of a research space, I've learned more about like mathematical knowledge for teaching. So that was a resource that I shared. And I don't know if yeah. you'd like me to kind of elaborate on, on that a bit more. Well, go ahead, sure. Okay, yeah. so um, the work of Deborah Ball and others, they created a framework that was based on Schulman's pedagogical content knowledge structure that's very specific for mathematics. So we're saying, um, they basically said that if there are two 
domains of knowledge that mathematics teachers need and to constantly develop throughout our career. They'd be subject matter knowledge and then pedagogical knowledge. And within those two domains, and there's six categories that we focus on. So within subject matter knowledge, there would be the horizontal content knowledge, um, common content knowledge of mathematics that teachers mm -hmm. need, and then specialized mathematical content knowledge. And then our pedagogical knowledge domain is made up of our knowledge of both math content and our students, mm -hmm. our knowledge of mathematics content and teaching, and then our knowledge of mathematics content in the curriculum. And it's not so much that <clears throat> the um, categories are are always very have these strict boundaries around them, no, right? There's there's interwe they're interwoven. They're so interwoven, <laughs> yeah. right? But I think it's really useful as a resource for helping teachers to understand. Okay, what is it that would make teaching and learning the most effective for all of my students? In your session, you talked about lessons learned. What is one of your favorite lessons learned um, that you could share with our listeners? Well, I think being creative and courageous and how you collaborate with others is uh, probably the greatest lesson learned for me. So being able to do it in a way that you amplify students' voices and their contributions to the mathematics learning community is extremely important. And when I was a middle school mathematics teacher, I had the experience where I started taking my students to engineering events. And what that led to was, again, collaborating with um, engineering groups and, and different companies like Healy's and others to create an apprenticeship program with the students at our school. So it became uh, a program where the principal and the counselor first kind of held a career fair and the organizations that many of my students interacted with at some of the engineering events and throughout the city came and so many other groups came and essentially held a job fair. And several teachers and I and the administrators and those organizations worked together to um, figure out how to train our students to understand where the mathematics is being used in their industry, and then what types of, of job skills are important and that they would be looking for, and how all of that connected to the mathematics that they were learning in school and the mathematics that they brought to school. So what was really great is that I had an administrator who allowed these students to go to, uh, middle school students, right, go to these apprenticeships um, during the school day. Um, and so we were able to create some really unique schedules and, and find ways to get them across town and, and again, develop partnerships for transportation. Um, and none of that would have happened, I think, if a few of us hadn't started out saying, let's do something new and something different to really connect with our students and make sure that our students connect math with the world in some really unique ways. So um, I think, again, that's a great example for me always. And it just reminds me of the importance of being creative and really thinking outside of the box. So in, in your work, um, I'm wondering if, if you encounter barriers to this collaboration, what barriers to the collaboration would you put on your radar as a leader? And do you have any tips on how math leaders might address those barriers? Yes, I would say some of the barriers to collaboration are honestly the fact that it is it's very possible that you work within a system where you're not always supported in the way that you would hope. Um, and so when I became a district supervisor, 
I was working in a community that was very close knit. The teachers had, there was very little turnover. The teachers and administrators generally had between 10 and 20 years of experience and often in the same buildings and in central office. So I knew the expectation was to maintain that kind of familial atmosphere and grow within it. And being a K-12 specialist or K-12 supervisor, I also recognized that I could not and did not need to be doing all the work alone. And so it led to the creation of a leadership council where the math coaches and math teachers and again, community members worked alongside me to really transform math instruction and teaching and learning in our district. What happened though, the following year after that was established and went really well, we had a new superintendent who didn't really understand the purpose of all these people coming together um, and all these meetings that we were having at central office and the things that we were trying to do. And so they questioned first my, um, my capability to lead mathematics and to be transparent, I was asked to um, do a demonstration lesson for the central office staff so that they could really ensure that I knew mathematics well enough to lead others. And so there, I, wow. what I believed in as of <laughs> leadership, right, very, <laughs> very. Oh, wow. Um, and so the lesson went well. And after that, I, I somehow gained their acceptance. But through all of that, again, that was a very demoralizing experience. And it, I never lost sight of, the, of my belief about distributed leadership, which is really what I was trying to enact in, in our district and what had been successful and, and what continued to be successful. But I think the, the biggest barrier is are, are situations like that. Um, what I learned though, is that when you try to do the work alone, it, you simply get burned out because it really does take a system of us to transform and to change a system. So you have to find and you have to maintain those partnerships and you do need to elicit and empower others to lead alongside of you. Yeah, so in our last few minutes with you, Bria, um, we just wanna ask one more question. Um, earlier, Mona mentioned NCSM's newest publication about leading culturally relevant teaching in mathematics because NCSM continues to focus its effort on advancing culturally relevant teaching, practices, equity, and access in mathematics. So the last question for you, how do you think this grander idea of collaboration connects with that work? Well, I believe that collaboration requires us to be transparent about our cultural experiences and how our beliefs really do shape the work that we do. So I think we have to continue to evaluate ourselves as mathematics educators and as mathematics leaders to understand how and what's really culturally relevant to us or equitable and accessible for us may not indeed be accessible, equitable, or even culturally relevant to those that are in our communities. And as our communities change, as we change, I think that self-reflection um, is really gonna become more important in this work of collaboration. Um, and I think as, especially as I'm growing older, I, I think about how well do I know the people that I'm working with and how well do I understand their values, their background and their experiences and then how that affects how they're willing to collaborate with me as well. So I, I say understanding first the ourselves, <laughs> 
and understanding that there's so many people that have intellectual capital that are coming to be a part of this collaboration and being able to honor that, that's what will really advance our culturally relevant practices. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Bria. What a great conversation. Um, uh, some of our listeners know the collaboration is truly deep in my heart. So I just I just want to thank you for your your extension of that understanding and communication because it can't just be about us as an individual. As you said, this needs to be about everyone who impacts the lives of students. So thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you very much again for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. Awesome. Thanks, folks. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Be well. We hope you have been inspired by this bold mathematics leadership conversation and will tune into our podcast series each month. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. You can learn more about NCSM Leadership in Mathematics Education and our upcoming professional learning events on the NCSM website at mathedleadership.org. You can also follow NCSM on Twitter at mathedleaders using the hashtag NCSMBold. Thanks again.